Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Some people are walking their talk and some people are living their life. So I dug deeper into what that drive force was. And I concluded that it was human values. Very few people really know themselves to know what their values are. Very few. Anytime you're doing something that is deeply meaningful, that is inspiring, that you feel intrinsically fulfilled to do, your space and time horizons grow, your confidence grows, your self-worth grows, creativity, your solution orientation grows. But if you can go even one more step and not make it a hobby, but make it a, a, something that you can integrate into your income, you're more fulfilled. And what's interesting, the cytokines, when they study cytokines, when people are doing something they're inspired by, their immune system rallies. My business booms. My income goes up. Mm. My outreach, my social influence. The universe gives you great feedback. It's doing everything it can to help you become the most magnificent individual you can be. When you go after what's highest in priority, that's where you maximize your potential. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid, subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Dr. John Martini is a polymath. He's written dozens of books, many of them bestsellers all across the world. After having taught millions and millions of people, and actually I would go as far as saying he's a mentor to thousands of personal development leaders, people that are inspired to potentially share more and more thought leadership and personal development with others, he has had an incredible impact on people just like myself. Now, after all of that work and everything that he studied, whether it's business, whether it's science, whether it's spirituality, whether it's quantum physics, like he is across, like he's a genius, yeah? He keeps coming back. When you go to his website, the first thing you see is discover your values. Yeah, and it's a big part of the the offering on the Inspired Evolution here is discover your values. I've got a different methodology to how to discover your values to him, but nonetheless, the cornerstone piece for someone like John is discover your values. So in order to go all the way and pay homage to the man, this episode is dedicated entirely as a masterclass. This episode is dedicated to you discovering your values, why it's so important to know your values, and how 
Values actually energize your life. Values how they show up in relationships and whether you need to have the exact same values as your partner or they can be different. And also how knowing your values can help you be a better leader and how they're fundamental and actually you being aligned to yourself in your values as a leader ensures that you're not influenced by others. So you getting very clear on your values is fundamental to your leadership and your ability to influence others. We discuss deeply about how our pains and our trauma in life is not in the way, it's actually on the way. And these voids actually inform our values in many ways. Our biggest challenges are actually our biggest gifts. We talk about what it means to live a fulfilled life. Now, if you fulfill your values, you will fulfill your life, right? It's as simple as that. And it's actually as profound as that. This is an incredible conversation for anybody that wants to live life on their own terms, wants to set up a business on their own terms, considers themselves a bit of a leader or wants to be of influence or of note or impact millions, any of the above. If you're having troubles in relationships, if you're having troubles picking a decision and a direction in life, mate, please tune into this conversation. It is potentially one of the most important conversations I have ever had on the Inspired Evolution with Dr. John D. Martini. Check it out now. Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us today, Inspiring Our Evolution. Once again, it is such a privilege to have with us Dr. John Martini. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I was looking forward to it, definitely. Uh, the pleasure is absolutely mine. It is such an honor to have you here. For those that are like first time coming across Dr. John Martini. I will say I'm heavily surprised if that is the case, but I will do the honors nonetheless, just for those that haven't heard of you before. John, um, again, very mystified if that is the case. Dr. John Martini is a professional speaker, author, and he moonlights as a business consultant uh, while he's doing all of the above. He's the author of The Breakthrough Experience, which is a seminal book in many people's personal development journey. Um, he wrote The Gratitude Effect, which many of us love. He also wrote The Values Factor and several more best-selling books. And ultimately, I would go as far as saying he's actually a mentor to not just hundreds of us, but thousands of leaders, um, young and emerging in the personal development space. And I can say hand on heart, for me, he is a true master of self-mastery. And John, just every time I get to connect with you, it is such a treat and a pleasure. So thank you so much for doing this with us here today. And once again, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You're helping me fulfill my mission. Thank you. Well, the big thing for me is I'm really clear on what my values are. And if it wasn't for your work, I don't think I would be there. So I know that Amrit is Captain Connection, Contribution, and Celebration. These are my three things, and I will live and die by them. But I know that I have the luxury um, of having my values, but I also know that it's not so difficult to find out what your values are. And lots of people, well, when you mention values, I think for most people, the very next sort of teacher, the very first teacher that comes to mind is Dr. John D. Martini. Now, I would love to ask, you know, because you are a polymath and there is so much that you have researched, but I would love to start by asking, what are your values? first of all. Um, And then from there, I'll ask my next question, which I'm really excited to ask. So I'll pump the brakes and ask you what your values are first, and then I'll ask my question. Well, teaching in the field of self-mastery, maximizing human awareness and potential, and the evolution of human consciousness. That's number one. 
And I yeah. do that seven days a week. So I'm either mm. doing a webinar, a keynote, a seminar, uh, a podcast, uh, a little webinar, consulting, writing books or writing things or producing movies, anything in the field of teaching in that area, that's number one. And that's an average of 14 hours a day, pretty well, 16 hours a day. Mm -hmm. on <laughs> Every moment I have in between that, I'm researching and writing. Mm -hmm. So I research and write every single day. And then third would be traveling the world because I live on a ship, as you know, and I travel all over the world nonstop. I just happened to sail in just now. We just stopped in Ulvik, Norway, which is a beautiful, pristine little fjord. So the fourth one um, is building financial independence, which I've done. I've been blessed to be about 50 times financially independent. And uh, so I, those are the basic four things that I wanted to do since I was 17. And mm. I've learned to delegate everything else away. Anything that requires extrinsic motivation, reminding, or incentive on the outside I just find somebody who would love to do that, whose highest value is to do that, let them do that, yeah. and I just focus on what I do. So I don't do anything well, else. I'm useless, completely useless outside <laughs> of the world. <laughs> I mean, I haven't driven a car in 33 years. I haven't cooked since I was 24. I don't do anything. Anytime you do something that is lower on your value list, you devalue yourself. And anytime mm -hmm. you stick to the very highest priority, highest values, value yourself. And so is the world. The world reflects what you do to yourself. So I'm a firm believer of giving people an opportunity to do what they love by delegating the things that I am not masterful at and don't, want, don't even want to focus on. I just want to focus on teach, research, write, travel the world. When did you first realize that this was, um, I don't want to say a formula for success. That sounds super cheesy. But at, when did you first realize that this was the path forward? That because um, therein, I'm going to stick it back, like thread it back to the question I was like going to ask. Thank you so much for answering. Um, was you work as a polymath? Like you are researching, like you said, and writing all the time. There is so much that you know curiosity and that you are just sharing and your books are very diverse you don't write about the same thing over and over again that's for sure and so the thing that i find really interesting is that at the it almost seems like that at the heart of your work when you go to the dr john d martini website it is like hey do you know your values step one do you know your values why is this such a cornerstone thing and how did you come to realize that this is like the heart of like living a life well what like maybe i'm programming even that part in like why are values so important and where did you come to this being the realization that these are so important when i was 17 i had a dream <clears throat> as a result of being with a gentleman who inspired me one night mm. to travel the world and teach and overcome my learning problems i had a learning problem speech problem right so that's been my focus by the time i was 18 i was teaching i was tutoring and teaching already <laughs> Uh, by the time I got to 23, I was wondering, why is it that some people are walking their talk and some people are limping their life? Why are some people doing what yeah. they say? Why are, not, why are people not doing that? And I was Great curious, question. so I dug deeper into what that drive force was. And I concluded that it was human values. When people were pursuing what was highest on their value and they were congruent with it, they increased the probability of achieving what they said when they were doing and pursuing something that they thought they should do, ought to do, got to do, have to do, must do, need to do from external mm -hmm. sources, 
that wasn't intrinsically important to them, they procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate instead of being disciplined, reliable, and focused. So I realized that. Then I then I realized that human values are determining how we perceive, decide, and act. Therefore, all of our behavior. Mm-hmm. And they were the cornerstone. But I was disenfranchised by all the different modalities of determining values that I saw at the time. It seemed like they were the moral and ethical injunction about how we're supposed to be. And Nietzsche wrote about the idea that there's ought to and there's is. What is, what are your values and what is it you think it should be? And should be Mm. is subordinating to some collective authority. And what ought to be, what what is, is what, what it is, what your life demonstrates. So I started to compile a value determination process based on what objectively your life is demonstrating. And Mm -hmm. that made a huge difference when I started to do that, because now we could identify what was really important to him, not what people said. You know, if I ask, uh, if I'm standing in front of 10,000 people and I say, how many of you would like to be financially independent? Everybody puts Mm -hmm. a hand up, some two, some foot ends, both of them. And I, (laughs) okay, great. You say that, Mm-hmm. But your life, is it demonstrating that? How many are financially independent? And unless I'm in an executive conference, a uh, mm-hmm. very small percentage of people will keep their hands up. I said, isn't it interesting that 99 to 100% of you put your hand up, but mm-hmm. less than there's only seven people in this entire room that have their hand up and saying they are, but their passive income exceeds their active income. So why? And then yeah. I, I made them... I pulled out a, a, a hold him. I told him to pull out a sheet of paper, and I was going to give them ten million U.S. dollars. And so, if they had ten million U.S. dollars, what would they do with that ten million dollars? And I said, you have sixty seconds to write the ten things you would do with it. Mm-hmm. On your mark, get set, go. And they quickly wrote down. Oh God, if I had ten million dollars, what I would do? At the end of them, one minute, sixty seconds, they hand it to the person next to him. And that individual then discerns how much of the money is left that's still an asset that's going to create a passive income. And mm-hmm. between 20 and 80% of the money that they received of $10 million was spent on consumables that depreciated in value. And what they were doing is realizing they wanted the lifestyle, the rich and famous, the fantasy life, not mm-hmm. the, the methodical, consistent, deferred gratifying uh investing in assets that went up in value. So what they said they want and what was actually being demonstrated were not the same. And I found Two this interesting. So I had to find a way of looking at what their life demonstrated, not the fantasies that they were saying. Because mm-hmm. very few people really know themselves to know what their values are. Very few. And they're the ones that are usually the leaders because they're congruent. I've got questions around leadership and values coming up but i think before we get there values versus fantasies because when sometimes when you hear values put the way and thank you so much for answering um the last question the 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 values uh, yeah the difference between values and fantasies because sometimes when i talk to people i get the impression that well even ideals like you described right they're, they're describing like social ideals if they don't know what their values are you know it's like honesty and you know help thy neighbor and it's like are those really your values or are those just ideals that you've picked up and like you said should moral hypocrisies and social idealisms 
by audiologues that are promoting something which disempower people. Because now if they don't live by that, they beat themselves up. I'm not interested in that because that doesn't achieve reality. That doesn't get people grounded. I'm looking at what their life demonstrates. That, mm. Because what's really valuable is something that's important to them that's so important that they won't let anything stop them from it. They pursue it. And they, they see pain and pleasure, both of them necessary to get it. A fantasy is three types. Anytime you set a goal or objective or a, some intention that is not aligned and congruent with what you value most, at least your mm. top three values, you've got a fantasy because you're going to procrastinate, hesitate, frustrate. You're not going to get around to doing it. And you'll keep mm. thinking you're sabotaging because you'll keep doing what is important. But you'll expect it to be this when it's really this. The second one is an unstrategized objective that's doable, that is aligned, but there's no strategy to take actions and incremental momentum building actions that will give you the result. That's the second fantasy. And the third one is a complete monopoled idea that I want happiness without sadness or positive without negative or peace without war or pleasure without pain. Yeah. Or, I mean, imagine if you're going into relationship, let's just take a relationship. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to date you, ma'am. Here's my expectations. You will have to be nice, never mean, kind, never cruel, positive, never negative, peaceful, never wrathful, generous, never stingy, give, never take, considerate, never inconsiderate. Mm. Uh, and you have to be smiling, never frowning. Yeah. Delusion and fantasy. It's not going to happen because they have Complete a set delusion. of values. Yeah. yeah, it's a delusion. And, and they have a set of values. And when you communicate in their values, they can be nice. If you go against their values, mm. they can be mean. I'm not a nice person. I'm not a mean person. Those are personas. Mm. I'm an individual that has the capacity to be nice or mean, depending on whether you support or challenge me enough. I can be nice as a pussycat. I can be mean as a tiger if I'm supported or challenged extensive enough. So mm. setting up idealisms and fantasies about one-sidedness is a very common thing. And that's where the moral hypocrisies come in. The idea you're supposed to be only one side. It's like grandma says, mm. now be nice, don't be mean. Then five minutes later, she's beating the hell out of grandpa. <laughs> she's mm. doing mm. A, yeah. a moral hypocrisy. So <laughs> yeah. those fantasies, uh, something that's not aligned with what you value most, something that's not strategized in the executive center, and, and you're willing to embrace pain and pleasure in the pursuit of, and something that's one-sided outcome. Those are guaranteed to lead to doubt, insecurity, self-defeat, a feeling of sabotage, uh, frustration, futility, because they're not real. They're not going to be obtained. Mm. And this, this sets people up for unfulfillment, which puts them mm. in their amygdala, which perpetuates the thing further because the amygdala is wanting to avoid predator and seek prey, avoid pain and seek pleasure. And they're looking for a fantasy life. And therefore they become impulsive and addictive and, and, and almost a immediate gratifying instead of long-term visionary where the great achievements are made. This is really interesting because we have potentially these ideals and these values being instilled down, like from the top down. I sort of feel like this pressure sometimes coming down. It's like social ideals and, you know, other people's values sort of, you know, just trickling in. I'm sure parents have a factor in it. But then like you're saying, it's like, but that's not what you're living, even in the financial freedom example, right? So it's almost like our natural values are still always trying to butt up and emerge through that. And actually they can never be switched off, but they can potentially be dialed down 
in the face of the collective super values that we're facing. Am I picking it up correctly? Yes, perfectly stated. Let's let's just use this imagination. Uh, mm. Most likely, most everybody on here has been infatuated with somebody before, male or female. They've had an mm. infatuation, a little mm. uh, rose-tinted glass infatuation where they perceived all upsides and very few downsides, if any. And they were enamored mm. and goo-goo-eyed and infatuated, and they were conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides. Blind to the downsides, which by definition is called ignorance. They're ignoring the downsides. They have a false positive on the positives and a false negative on the negatives, a subjective confirmation bias on the positives, a disconfirmation bias on the negatives, and they're diluted. And when they are infatuated, they'll minimize them and they exaggerate this individual. But they'll minimize themselves mm. and they'll be too humble to admit what they see in them inside themselves. And therefore, they'll sacrifice for that individual inject the values of that individual into their life, cloud the clarity of their own values, and try to be somebody they're not because they fear the loss of the thing they infatuate with. So they don't want to lose it. So they're going to walk on eggshells and minimize themselves and act altruistically, sacrificing what's really important to them to try to fit into their life. And everybody who's been infatuated has done that. I had this beautiful Spanish model when I was 20 years old, gorgeous girl that I was like totally infatuated with. Mm. And my normal day consisted of studying physics, mathematics, chemistry, pre-med, you know, mm. it, it was, it was all business and you know, science and stuff. I meet this mm. girl and suddenly I'm going over to watch her do pom-pom dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm spending, you know, hours watching her do pom-pom dancing because I'm never all this estrogen going on. Mm -hmm. And then I finally realized after about three or four weeks, I'm going to fail my classes if I don't get knuckle under. You know? <laughs> so I'm sitting there sacred, but I'm afraid she's not going to like me if I'm not there. So I'm fearing yeah. the loss of her because I was the underdog. I was the infatuated one. I was the underdog and I was sacrificing what was important to me and building up little units of resentment to try to eventually go. I, well, I stood up and I finally said, well, I've got a test, so I won't be able to make mm -hmm. it today. And I wanted my life back. So anytime yeah. we infatuate with somebody, we, we walk in a mall and we see somebody, they're smarter than us. They're more mm. business savvy than us, more successful, more financially mm. viable, more stable relationship, more socially connected, more physically fit, more spiritually aware. The moment we do, without even knowing we're doing it, we're going to be too humble to admit we have those things. We're going to subordinate to them. We're going to inject some of their values and we're going to cloud the clarity of what our own calling is, our own highest values and try to live in the social idealisms of people we subordinate to. Mothers, fathers, preachers, teachers, conventions, mores, traditions. John, there's so many of those people. There are so many of those people and there's just one of us. Is this happening, like one of my questions is how early do we start? And like I have to say, I take a lot of heart from the fact that no matter what, like as you're describing, our values are always pushing through the noise. Like there is always signal amongst the noise. But there just seems to be so much noise. How early does the noise start to settle in? Is it just as soon as we're born, we're, we're in a world that is potentially just full of noise and trying to cloud our judgment in some way? Um, Most of the time, the, yeah. the myelinization of the brain in the forebrain doesn't really occur until mm. around 25, 6, or 7. Most people. Some people, yeah, okay. Some people get it early. Some people get it early. 
that executive center in the forebrain, the medial prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. sends GABA and glutamate transmitters and fibers down into the amygdala to calm the impulses and instincts of the judgments of infatuation, resentment that impulse us and instinct us towards and away from things. So mm -hmm. we start to govern ourselves about the time we have accountability. We start right. to have accountability. Okay, well now we've got bills to pay. We've got a house. We've got a car. Responsibility. We, got, we start yep. to grow up. It's the challenges that make us stand stronger and become independent. When somebody supports us, we become juvenile dependent and in disabled and enabled. When something challenges, we tend to go back to our highest values and tend to go back and activate our executive center. It's not until we have major responsibilities imposed by life do we start to think independently again. Ernest Becker in his denial of death said that there were two immortality pathways because we have mm -hmm. the fear of extinction and fear of loss of our life. So we have a, an individual hero and a collective hero. The majority of people go by the collective hero. They want to fit in because they're fear of rejection and abandonment. Thousands of years ago, when we were nomadic people, we didn't do so well by ourselves. So we joined yeah. in, in, in kinship and township and cities and stuff and started developing specialties. But we became dependent on those specialties because our specialty allowed us to focus and we had to be dependent on everybody else's. So we got used to being dependent and fearing rejection or we wouldn't survive. So it's an evolved survival strategy for most people. But very few people have the courage to be authentic. When I've asked millions of people, how many of you want to make a difference? Every hand goes up. But you can't make a difference fitting in. You can only make a difference standing out and walking an unborrowed vision and walking a path of a, literally a unique path. So identifying what your values are and structuring your life in a way that you have sustainable, fair exchange with other people, doing a service that's meaningful, that fills other people's needs is the way through that obstacle. If I'm extrapolating or internalizing what you're saying correctly, is it safe to deduce that then, because one of the things that we often think about, well, I think about a lot as a life coach, right, um, is the concept of regrets on your deathbed and I know it's kind of morbid to bring that up but it is a reality right like we're all going to face that final frontier of this experience that we know as life would you well I guess I gotta ask would you go as far as saying that living in alignment to your values is probably one of the most surefire ways to minimize regret and or and the converse is potentially also being true. Like if you're living out of alignment for the majority of your life with your values, you're most likely to face a sig the most significant amount of regret. Can I draw that uh, hypothesis? Yeah. Bronnie Ware, I had a conversation with who talked about the five regrets of, of the people dying, nailed mm. it pretty well that, you know, people realize that a lot of the things that they thought were important weren't really important when they got down to the last, you know, days of their life. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, your loved ones are not important. They are. And but many people got into a, a grind and did a job that was survival oriented and just survived and didn't flourish mm -hmm. and didn't go after what they really love because they didn't ask, how can I do what I love and get handsomely paid to do it? And how can I do what I love and do it in a way that serves vast numbers of people? They didn't ask the, the questions that liberate them from the, the life of desperation, you might say. Mm -hmm. So, yes. The regrets are a byproduct of inauthenticity. And there's two types of inauthenticity. 
We exaggerate ourselves looking down on others narcissistically, expecting others to live in our values. Or we minimize ourselves with shame uh, and expecting ourselves to live in other people's values. Both are futile. Both don't work. Both lead to symptoms. When we minimize ourselves, we eventually go, this isn't working. I deserve better than this. And when we exaggerate ourselves, we end up getting humble because we're not meeting people's needs. So both of them create symptoms to guide us back to authenticity out of the imposter syndrome into the authentic syndrome. And when we do, there's no regrets. I think this is a really important conversation, even just for me to have with you, or like, obviously, (laughs) the audience is here as well. Hey, guys. Um, But, well, not but, and, because what you're referring to is when, well, what I'm hearing you say is when we're, Connecting to people, even going down the street, looking down on them, we've got this superiority complex. And when we're, you know, maybe like in the office, in the workplace, and we've got a boss and we've got this inferiority complex potential, even just walking down the street and we're feeling less than someone, we've got this inferiority complex. And both are speaking to us projecting or being debased off of our values. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes, because when we're living in our highest values, we're most objective, most neutral, and most loving. Mm. When we're living in our lower values, we're most emotional, subjectively biased, and most judging because we must. When we're in survival in the amygdala, we must judge, is that a prey or is that a predator? Because we're going to starve and we're going to get eaten. When we're in the executive center, we're living in self-actualizing, thriving areas, and we're now thinking foresight, and we're now more objective. If we go into work and we make a priority list, and it's a true priority list based on our priorities and what the company needs. And we knock it mm-hmm. out of the ballpark and just knock them out one by one priorities. We are on top of the world that day. We come home, we can handle anything. If yeah. we go in there and we put out fires all day long and never got around to what was important, we come home, mm-hmm. we're going to have, we're going to have volatility. Because the symptoms, mm-hmm. the symptoms of our physiology, the symptoms of our psychology, the symptoms of our sociology, the symptoms of our relationships, and our business are nothing but feedback mechanisms to guide us to authenticity. And authenticity is living by highest priorities objectively in a sustainable, fair exchange manner with people that we would love to serve. I do want to continue rabbiting down because I feel like at times I'm overly humble, but I do want to, there's a, there's a point here that has to be explored further because what you're like saying right now is that actually we are most energized in our day-to-day doing things that are most when we're in most alignment, um, yes. which at this juncture in the conversation sounds painfully obvious. But if I was to just say that to somebody on the street going, hey, are you in alignment to your values? And if you're not, you're going to be drained. And if you are in alignment to your values, life's just going to feel like there's going to be energy for you to do whatever it is that you need to do. Pretty much like you described yourself seven days a week, 14 hours a day, doing what you love. It's not just alignment to values. It's alignment to highest values. Highest. Mm. Very important distinction to make because people say, well, you just need to be aligned with your values. No, your very top value is the key. The the more you delegate lower priority things that require extrinsic Mm -hmm. motivation to do, and the more you stick to what is inspired spontaneously, not evoked potentials mm-hmm. in the brain, but spontaneous potentials in the brain is the degree of your effectiency and efficiency in this world and your mastery. Mm-hmm. And your energy level rewards you to let you know that. Your energy is infinite once you recognize that source. 
Your vitality is directly proportional to the vividness of the vision, and it is only in your highest value that you activate the center, the medial prefrontal cortex, which is connected to the V5, V6 areas of the occipital cortex, which is a visual associative area, where you can see the vision, and those with the vision flourish. Those without it don't. The amygdala is not connected there. So when you're in survival mode, you can't see your solution. But the second you're in your executive center, and every time you live by your highest priority, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain and activates the executive center. And every time you live by lower values, by injected values, your amygdala gets activated and you go into emotional responses. One's called systems one thinking, the emotional response where you emotionally react before you think, and one's systems two thinking where you think before you emotionally react. That's the leader, the executive centers, because it's the executive pathway. Circling back, I find myself leaning into humility as almost like a spiritual tenant. Um, and, you know, when in doubt, just be humble, you know, and I use it a lot. And referring to what you said before in terms of the inferiority complex, um, well, you didn't call it that. I called it that. Sorry. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I'm handing over my power when I'm overly humbling myself. And I'm sure humility is a key. There's a balance in there because I'm sure we need to be, I'm not saying you're not saying be humble because I think curiosity being something I totally associate with you, like it requires humility to be hum uh, to be curious. Um, but yeah, there's something for me to look at in there. I can feel even as you're sharing this today that if I'm being overly humble, I'm also retreating from something. Well, it's, it, it's, we're not here to compare ourselves to other people and minimize ourselves to others. We're here mm. to be humble to the order that's already present in the perfection of reflection that we have with people. Mm. I, I, I did an exercise 39 years ago. I went to the Oxford mm. Dictionary, the English Dictionary, yeah. which is the largest dictionary I could find. That little thin paper one, small print. And I went through and underlined every possible human behavioral trait. People thought I was a little mm. odd. And then I went, who do I know that displays that trait the most? That trait. Yeah. And then out to the side of that, I started asking where and when do I display or demonstrate that trait? Where was it? When was it? Who did I demonstrate? Who perceived me that way? And I kept doing that until I owned that trait 100% as much as I saw in the most extreme example of the individual. And I realized mm. that I had every one of those traits. I was kind and cruel and nice and mean and positive, negative and stingy and generous and considerate and inconsiderate and, you know, deceitful and honest. And I had every single one of those behaviors that I found in that. I even was a serial murderer of people's personas in my work. People come to the mm. seminars and I shatter their personas and get them back into authenticity. So I'm killing their personas. <laughs> mm. I mean, I saw every one of those things in me. Yeah. When I realized that when I met people, instead of reacting, I saw myself. And it was really interesting because we only react positively or negatively, impulsively or instinctively with seek or avoid reactions when we disown the traits that we see. If we're too humble or too proud to admit what we see in others inside us, we emotionally react and judge. Judgment is a, a reminder of what we've disowned in our path of love. That's it. So if we go in there and look carefully, 
the thing we resent in other people is reminding us of something that we're ashamed of in our own life that we've done, that we've dissociated from and gone into pride to protect ourselves from that with our amygdala. And they're coming into our life to remind us of that part, to learn to love that part. It's been alienated. We'll go back and find out how that behavior actually did serve, just like their behavior is serving. And the same thing on the other side. When we admire people, we're too humble to admit what we see in them, but it's because we actually have it, but we don't want to admit it because we don't want to be too arrogant, but we have those traits. So when we have pure reflective awareness, and we realize that the seer, the seeing, and the seen are the same, and that no matter what we see in the world around us, it's a reflection. We take the volatility out, the amygdala out, put authenticity in, get in the executive center, have objectivity, which is neutrality, and we don't fear the loss of somebody. We don't fear the gain of somebody. We just feel present with people, and we love them. That's where mm. we're authentic. That's where we have sustainable fair exchange. That's where we maximize the potential. That is our spiritual inspirational path. You mentioned the importance of top values. I've never really considered bottom values until I started researching for this particular conversation and podcast. Can you tell us what bottom values are? And I'm sure there's a whole component to top values are attracting me, so bottom values are repulsing me. Um, well, there there are yeah. no bottom values that, because there's an infinite yeah. number of possible things that, that could be down there. But they mm -hmm. come up to a point where what is most important in your life but you can, right. uh, if I said, what's not important to you? Well, there's an infinite number of things that are not important. But what's yeah, important. Yeah, why I found it confusing. That, yeah. Yeah. So there's an infinite number and there's only one that's highest, the highest priority. Mm. When you, when you go after what's highest in priority, that's where you maximize your potential. Gary Keller wrote right. the one thing and the companies mm. that find that one thing that become special at Excel and each yeah. of us have have a comparative and competitive advantage when we find that one thing, that one thing. Mine is teaching. Mine is researching and teaching and sharing ideas. Yours is doing your podcast and, and coaching and sharing ideas. Same thing. We, we have a lot in common that way. So finding out what that one thing is, then we don't feel like we're working. We're doing what we love every day. And I found that I made more income when I did that because I'm more inspired to do it. And I'm more excellent in that. And as a result of it, I, I excel. <laughs> and if I prioritize, I, I, I wrote down, I, I learned from Mary Kay, from Mary Kay Cosmetics. I was speaking to about 4,500 women one time in Dallas in her group. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went and chatted with her afterwards. And I said, what advice could you give a young aspiring speaker? This is 40 years ago. And she mm -hmm. said, every day, write down the highest priority actions you do that can help you fulfill your dreams, stick to them, and then reward yourself for doing that. Well, I decided that every time I did that, I was going to take a portion of it and invest it. So every day I just started doing investing. But I found out that if I wrote down the highest priority actions, I collected them on index cards. And then I looked mm -hmm. at what was the highest priority of the highest priorities, which kept showing up most frequent. The and it came out, teach, teach, research, write, travel, and invest. Mm. Then came relationships I, I, you know, and if people get stuck in the idea, oh, that's not what it should be. And see, everybody has a different set of values. That's what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, yeah. yeah. Everybody's projecting their values onto you and trying to get you in their values. And so 
you're yeah. not going to live in their values without destroying yourself. It, you know, I'd rather have the whole world against me than my own soul, as the saying says. But I, what mm. I can do is fulfill my values and articulate it in a way that fulfills others. And that's the art. Yeah. How do I do what I love in a way that serves other people and fills their needs, at least the niche I can target? That is liberating and very financially re remunerating. But I just did that exercise and I found out if I stick to what that is highest, my business booms, my income goes up, mm. my, my outreach, my social influence, my thank you letters. I mean, everything works. So the universe, if you will, society, the world, what do you want to call it, gives you great feedback. It's doing everything it can to help you become the most magnificent individual you can be. But what we do is we get trapped in the idea about how we're supposed to be, should be, by moral hypocrisies. And we get trapped. Mm. And, we, and then we try to please everybody else and fear rejection because we depend on them. But it's we don't have to sit and subordinate to them and sacrifice our life for people, altruistic. That's not the answer. It's care enough about yourself and care enough about them to articulate and figure out how do I communicate what I really would love to bring to the world in a way where it satisfies and fulfills as many people's lives as I can. And the caring about humanity enough to do that. I was speaking at a church somewhere in the United States, and um, it was a bit of a, they were trying to raise some money, and he was having a struggle in the church. They needed money. Mm. And so I got up there, and I, I just did a presentation, and I said something that shocked everybody. I mean, they were like, whoa, you could hear a pin drop. I said, if you're poor, it's because you don't care about humanity. Whoa. Everybody's like, whoa, defensive. Yeah. I said, because if you cared about humanity, you would be thinking about how could I be of service to as many people as I can on the planet. And people who care enough to find a way of serving directly or indirectly become fortunate. Mm. And it really woke them up. Once I explained it, at first they reacted. Mm. Once I explained it, they went, hmm. So I made them stop and think. What is your talent and how can you use that talent? Because if you don't value your talent enough to believe that you could do something that can make a difference, you're not going to do well financially. You're going to end up being in a lower socioeconomic. And that's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's no moral idea. You need to be wealthy or something. There's nothing. But I've not ever met anybody that get up in the morning and said, I want to be less intelligent. I've never got anybody that says, I want to have less fulfillment in business. I mean, everybody says, I wish I could have less money. I hope I can lose all my money. I wish I could have less fulfillment in my relationship, less friends, less health, less spiritual awareness. No, we have a natural tendency to want to have fulfillment. The Gnostics called it pleroma, fulfillment. And we have fulfillment when we transcend judgment. When we judge and we're too proud or too humble to admit what we see in others inside us, and we narcissistically expect others to give us something for nothing, we don't, we don't flourish in business. And if we altruistically sacrifice and give things away, we don't make a profit in business. But if we have a sustainable, fair exchange, both parties want to continue to do business. And that's called caring. When you're talking down to people, it's careless. When you're talking up to people, it's careful. But when you're talking heart to heart, it's caring. That's what keeps mm -hmm. rings on fingers and keeps people in business. And that's the key. And, and you're rewarded financially as a compensation to let you know now you're living authentically. Now you're caring about yourself and humanity because you're part of humanity. John, I think people listening in at this juncture would love to hear. How do we, I know there's, you've got, for those 
if you haven't done the values determination exercise on Dr. John D. Martini's website, there is going to be, it's going to be the very first link in this episode to go check it out. Um, absolutely. But for those, and I know there's, you know, there are a few questions that, uh, there's, well, quite a few questions we can ask ourselves, but maybe some of your favorites. Um, how do you espouse um, people determine their life-determined values as you're describing, not the values that just got to get layered in, but actually the values that are naturally permeating, consistently insisting to emerge through their, um, yeah, through their being as their purest values. How do people discern their or find their top values? Well, that's, uh, that's what, what the are website, some of the questions value determination processes on the website. I -hmm. found out that people, their life demonstrates their values. And what that means is they're making decisions according to what they believe will give them the greatest advantage over disadvantage at any moment in time. And many decisions Mm -hmm. are conscious or unconscious, but still based on what they believe will give them more advantage. How they fill their space. We have a thing called proxemics. And our most intimate and personal space, which is four feet all the way to our body, whatever we keep there most consistently that we interact with and engage with, that's what we value. <clears throat> Anything that's not valuable, we push away. It's distal. So you look at what you fill your space with, your personal and intimate space within four feet with a foot and a half of you. And that tells you what you value. In my case, I'm literally 18 inches away from my computer and I'm engaged in it most of the day. And it's my vehicle for teaching and podcast and webinars and research. And my life is here. So I spend it because this is the most valuable tool I've got, technology. Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time on my computer, probably yourself. So yeah. you look at what you value. You look at what you fill your space with and that what you engage in with, in your space most frequently. That's an indicator. The second is you make time, find time, spend time, things that are valuable to you. You run out of time, mm-hmm. don't want to spend time and avoid things. That's not. So look at what you spend your time on. Well, I'm in front of my computer good 18 hours a day, 16 hours a day sometimes because I'm teaching all day. So obviously that's valuable to me or I wouldn't be doing it. The third one is where what energizes you? You have more energy at the end of the day when you're doing what you love and what's highest in priority. Your energy is drained if you don't. And so the, the universe is giving you feedback. If I'm drained at the end of the day, oh, what a day. What a hell of a day. You're doing lower priority things. If you're inspired by your day and you're grateful for the day and you feel more energy at the end of the day and you're enthused by life, that means you're doing something as priority. The fourth one is what you spend your money on. You make money, find money, spend money on things that are valuable. You don't want to spend money on things that don't. Somebody can't sell you something that's not valuable to you. So look at where you spend your money. And if your money is going to food and you're a glutton, well, then that's the truth. Look at where your money's going. That tells you. And if you're thinking and reading magazines on food and you're basically spending time at restaurants and you're, you know, you're filling your space with your gourmet food, it tells you that that's your highest value. That's not mine. I, I eat really quick and I'm right back to going back to my computer. But that's the fourth one. The fifth one is where you're most ordered and organized. And everybody has an area, but they compare themselves to others and think, well, I'm not organized in that area, so I'm not organized. I didn't ask that. I asked, where are you organized? The top three Relative things you're most self. organizing. Where are you most disciplined is the next one. What is it you think about about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence of coming true is next. What are you visualizing about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence coming true? What do you internally dialogue with yourself about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence coming true? 
What do you keep wanting to bring conversations to spontaneously when you're engaged with people and want to keep talking? People come up to you if their highest value is kids. They go, how's your kids? If golf is highest on your value, they go, how's your golf game? If business is highest, they say, how's your business? They want to engage in what's valuable to them. You do too. Then you look at what inspires you and brings tears to your eyes. Most likely, I don't, I don't know, but I would be willing to bet that if you're reading a book on, on somebody that's doing extraordinary things in coaching and personal development or whatever, you, you get a tear in your eyes sometimes. Or great thinkers or great philosophers or great achievers, they bring tears to your eyes when you read that. You're going to share it with people. So what inspires you and brings tears to your eyes? And what's consistent? What's, the, what's common to the people that do that? Then what are the three most consistent, persistent goals that you have about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence coming true? And the last one is, what do you spontaneously want to fill your mind with and want to feed your brain with and educate yourself on and learn about and, and, and watch on YouTube? If you look, there'll be a pattern in all those answers because they all point to the same thing. And if you fill that out, be honest with it, not write down what you think it should be or wish it would be, but write down what your life is demonstrating. If I took a drone and looked over your life, what is your life actually demonstrating? My life demonstrates that I'm in front of this computer most days, seven days a week, sharing and teaching and researching. So it's what I love doing. I don't have anything else I have to do. I've got a, a, a people to clean. I've got a clock changer. I've got a pilot. I've got a, a, a you know, cooks and chefs. I've got, you know, I, everything else is taken care of by specialists. I don't have any mm. responsibility except teach, research, write, travel the world. And that's because I've learned to prioritize and delegate. And you're not going to live an inspired life unless you're delegating lower priority things. It's not going to happen. And that's not going to happen unless you're caring enough about humanity to go and do something that produces an income to be able to afford that. And if you're not caring about humanity, you're not going to have fulfillment. Because the most fulfilling thing we have in life when we make a difference in other people's lives. Wow, John, that's a total masterclass on how to find your values. Thank you so much for sharing that. One of the questions I've got is at that juncture where someone finds their values, let's say they just ran through that exercise, paused the video, did it, good on you for doing it, pat on the back from myself and from John, um, or you ventured over to John's website to discover your values, pat on the back for that as well. Now, at that point, you're clear on what your values are, but you take a quick look at your current lifestyle and situation as well. And you mentioned it takes courage to live an authentic life. I know you said that earlier. So kind of bringing that point back, like I can see what my values are, but I can also see that I'm not really living in alignment to them. Whew. I you're potentially bet that's why a lot of people probably don't even look at their values because they can probably foresee that coming to some degree subconsciously maybe even. Where, how do you in like, would you, how do you prescribe the change? What, what do you think people can you do? Start, that you, makes... start asking, you start asking yourself a, a series of questions. So mm -hmm. now that I know what's really highest in priority, mm -hmm. I can see that the decisions I'm making have been based on it, even though I'm attempting to do somebody else's. So I'm attempting to do something else. It's unfulfilling, but I keep mm -hmm defaulting back to what's really valuable to me. A lot of times when people think I'm sabotaging, it's because they think what their values are is not what their real values are. They keep defaulting back to what their real values are and they keep thinking it should be this. Yeah. I have people all the time go, uh, why am I not doing my sales and marketing? I said, because your real value is socially interacting with people, not selling. So hire mm -hmm. a salesperson. Be honest with what your skill is. 
I had a guy the other day that is really great at creating design of businesses, and but he's not a sales and management people. He gets bogged down in all those details of management. I said, then hire mm-hmm. those people. Get on with the thing that you do and what you're ex- expert in. Because otherwise you're going to think, well, I don't love business anymore because you're doing the stuff that's not inspiring. I, mm-hmm. I learned a long time ago. When I was 27 years old, I read the book, The Time Trap by Alec McKenzie, and I shed everything. I just It took me 18 months from start to finish, and I let go of everything and delegated, 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 and made more income, had more influence. It freed me up. But we'll trap ourselves if we try to do things. So mm-hmm. what you do is identify what your values are, then ask, what are the highest priority actions I can do to help fulfill that value? Mm-hmm. How is the job I'm doing right now helping me in there until I'm completely free to go and do that highest value? So mm-hmm. how is this on the way? Because every job you have, I believe it or not, every job you've ever had, everything you're experiencing is on the way. But if you haven't ever asked, you're going to think it's in the way. So how specifically is what I'm experiencing, this job do right now, helping me fulfill what's highest on my values? The more you link what you're doing to that, the more you get in the executive center and you come up with creative ways of moving the direction of what it is that you value most. And the more productive and more enthused you become, the more inspired you become, the more grateful you become, and the more you come up with creative solutions and overcome that resistance. So first is to identify the values then prioritize your actions, link. You have, you have control over two things, your perceptions and your, your actions and your decision, but protect your perceptions and your actions. If you start prioritizing your actions to what's highest on your value and start linking whatever you're doing in your perceptions, whatever's happening to your highest value, I guarantee you, you're moving in that direction and you will see the changes going on in your life very quickly. I've literally trained people how to do that. In three months, they're in a different position. I love that. There's two things about that that I would love to share, which is first of all, it doesn't always look like what you think it looks like in terms of when you're facing down that barrel. Like I know for me, one of my biggest challenges was career misalignment. And that even though that job was like, oh, like that doesn't feel right. That feeling so not right was so exactly how you said it was on the way but I'm just trying to describe what on the way in the way kind of like doesn't always look like what you expect on the way in the way to look like because I needed to feel all that pain to pivot into becoming a career life and leadership coach and it wasn't that's for on the way. That's why it's yeah, on the exactly, way. Exactly, exactly. But at the time it did feel like it was it felt totally like in the way, but that was actually, you know, the the Stoics say the obstacle is the way. And that really was my obstacle and learning that actually learning how to overcome that became my medicine to share with the world. Absolutely. Um, That's it. Yeah. You nailed it. Because, see, when we were in our amygdala, we're looking for a pleasure without a pain. Mm. When we're in our executive center, we're embracing pleasure and pain in the pursuit of purpose. Mm-hmm. So the second we are in our executive center, no matter what happens, pleasure or pain, support or challenge, we see them on the way. We see them as feedback systems to help us get our goal. Mm. When, when, when you saw Elon Musk uh, put that new Mars ship into the air and it went for about four minutes and then exploded, did you see all the people at, 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 uh, at SpaceX celebrating and going cheering, even though it blew up? Mm. Why? Because they were grateful that it got off the, it, it, la- it launched and went into got the sky. The they were yeah. grateful. That exceeded their expectations. Now, everybody else said it failed and it was a disaster. No, 
they didn't see it that way. They saw it as another step forward and they were grateful and they were mm. celebrating while everybody else is going, oh my God, it blew up. The reason is because some people think success is the answer. I'm a man on a mission, not a man pursuing success. Success mm. depurposes you. Failure repurposes you. Both are feedback mechanisms to help you fulfill your fair exchange pursuit in this world. The second you get arrogant and think you're successful, you're on your way down. The second you get humble, you're back up. I'm not interested in the pursuit of success. I'm interested in the pursuit of fulfillment. Different. Much different pathway. Significantly different, I would say. Um, I would actually, yeah, ask you to share the difference between success and fulfillment in your own words. People will, will get enamored with it. Let me, let me give you a story that might make, make sense. <clears throat> Sure. In 1983, I was uh, speaking at the Marriott Marquis in New York City to 5,000 doctors. And we had six speakers for 20 minutes each for a two-hour segment. And we were backstage in a line getting ready to go up and do our 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it was the best advice and the best uh, ideas we could share in 20 minutes to help people in practice for doctors to help them grow their practice and serve people more effectively. And there was a guy in front of me <clears throat> named Zev. Mm. And he was saying, he was nervous. And he was saying, he, he says, wish me luck. And, I, and I, I was a bit puzzled. He says, my dad spoke on this conference. And since I was a little boy, I've always dreamed to be here. I have finally arrived. I'm now successful. I finally made it to my, my ultimate goal to speak to you here today. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking this is one of 5,000 speeches, 10,000 speeches I'm going to be giving. I'll be doing this the rest of my life. In his mind, he mm -hmm. thought it was an ultimate success. He was anxious for fear of failing at it because he was attached to it. He got up there and he did an okay job. It wasn't magnificent, but I never saw him again. He, 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 he thought he was successful. I define success as somebody that has a smaller vision with little experience compared to somebody who's on a mission. Keo from Coca-Cola mm. Company says, I don't hire people that think they're successful. They're on their way down. They depurpose. Think about this. When you think you've got, you've arrived and you think you've done really great, it's easy to go on to low priority things and give yourself permission by the licensing effect. There's a thing called the licensing effect. Everybody may be wise to look this up. The second you go into pride, you automatically mm -hmm. unconsciously do activities to humble you, to bring you back into authenticity because you're above equilibrium. You're above yourself. So mm -hmm. now people that go out and work out and they really get fit and really do it. And then they go out and they eat more chocolate or drink more wine that night. They gave themselves by the licensing effect permission to do something they feel ashamed of. Then they go and the next day into a yo-yo syndrome and now go, I got to go work out again. And then I can relate. <laughs> this is the success failure cycle. It's a revolution, the door revolution instead of a mission. And that's why mm. I don't promote success. And I, and that's just the opposite of what most people think, because oh, the second you think you're successful, you're on your way down, you've depurposed and you go into low priority things because you gave yourself a rival instead of a path. I'm a man on a mission. If I'm great, I'm just grateful for what it does achieve. Another movie, another book. Grateful. Thank you. But I don't think that's it because I'm, I'm on a, 
a path that it'll be throughout my life, all the way through my life. There's no dead end on it. There's no, I'm down, I've done it. So I'm a firm believer in having a cause bigger than your life instead of having mm. just a goal and that's it and stopping. Because I didn't see Zev again, but that was in 1983. So that's 40 years ago. Now I've done an average of 350 speeches a year, every year for 51 years. <laughs> and I got, I, I document them all. So I've been doing that many, many thousands of times since then. And I don't even think of myself as successful. People ask me, what do you do? How did you become successful? I tell them, I have no desire nor thought about me being a success. I'm a man mm. on a mission. I hope to be able to do that every day. And I love what I'm doing. And I'm grateful. I don't, I don't think I've arrived. How can I arrive? Whatever I know, there's always something I know that I don't know that's beyond it. And that is vastly mm. more infinite than what I know. So it keeps you yeah. humble. It keeps you going and keeps you growing. Live with holy curiosity. Don't live with the idea that you've arrived. That's my... Now, I'm not saying don't be grateful for what you get to achieve. I am grateful. I keep a document of what I'm grateful to every single day. But I don't think of myself arrogantly that I'm successful. A lot of other people like to put those labels on it. I usually humble that. Because think about it. The second you think you're successful and you think you're superior and you start getting puffed up, you get unauthentic and you do foolish things mm. and you don't care about your customers, you, you, you lose track. When I was in mm -hmm. about age 29, 30, I guess, let's see, 30-something, 32 maybe, I realized that I would have a big day in my office and I'd get kind of puffed up. And I thought, yeah, I'm pretty cool. And I'd drive my fancy car home and everything else. And then my wife would nail me. You forgot to do this. You didn't do this and everything like that. And I was getting yeah. pranked all day long and puffing myself up <laughs> and she was nailing me. And I thought she was toxic at first. I thought, well, she's a negative thinker and all that <laughs> stuff. But what I finally came to realize that she was doing mm -hmm. exactly what was needed because I was focused on myself and narcissistic mm -hmm. when I come home thinking I'm amazing. You know, touch me. I, you'll heal kind of thing. And she was actually grounding me and making me authentic and making sure I was there with my family and my kids and, and making sure that I cared about my customers and not, it wasn't about me. And I noticed that mm. before going home, I still have it on my computer. I could pull it up and show you. Before I go home, I asked, whose name did I forget? What staff member did I appreciate? What uh, birthday and anniversary did I overlook? What procedure did I forget? And I humbled mm. myself from that. And I didn't stop until I got a tear of gratitude for the opportunity to serve people that day. When I went home, my wife was stable and centered because I was centered. And if I, was, if I had a down day and I thought, wow, what a day. I asked, who did I serve? What did I do? And I would lift myself up and I would center myself because if we don't govern ourselves, the world around us has to. People mm -hmm. who govern themselves and listen to their physiology and psychology and have self-governance are leaders. People who can't listen to their governance inside, and they have to be governed from the outside, politics and religion. So I learned to ask questions to humble me and center me from when I'm a cocky and lift me when I'm down and stabilize me. And I noticed the second I did that, not only did my business become stable and grow, but my relationship was stable. And I didn't label her nice or mean, kind or cruel, narcissistic. I didn't put labels on people or on myself. I stabilized myself. So look inside, ask quality questions, 
that stabilize and, and center you on a daily basis and you'll empower yourself even more. There's three questions that open up for me from there and I'm going to circle back to a little point which I was discussing before in terms of how we actually make the shift and the trust that's required um, for someone that's on the cusp of just discovered their values and is completely inspired to living a fulfilling life like you've discussed. Thank you so much for sharing the difference between success and fulfillment. It's counterintuitive and having coached quite a few people through this now is people feel like they're burning out because they're not living in alignment to their values and I, it still blows me away that helping them and there's, there's many vehicles. It's, oftentimes it's career coaching, helping them find a career that's in alignment to their values. Sometimes it's something else. I would say 50% of the time it's asking them to pursue a hobby or even start a side hustle around that hobby. And now they're filling their time with more things. They were previously somewhat providing the symptoms of being burnt out. And yet they have better mental health. They've got more energy. Their life feels like it's coming together because they're doing something in alignment to their values. And I'm bringing this back to the frame because one of the places to, that I found really interesting, and you just mentioned it just then as well, in success and fulfillment, is people say, oh, I'm at Touchwood, you know, like you've been doing this for six years. The podcast is really, you know, it's it's taken off. And I still humbly feel like, I feel like the seed is still needing to be watered. <laughs> you know, like this, <laughs> take it off. I didn't. And one of the things people go, oh, like, have you maintained to be consistent, rah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And I've just always just, my response has been, I've given it at least 10 years before I even asked the question in terms of, is this what it's meant to be? Is this going where it's meant to go? And that's, and I can feel that by some grace of God, or some grace of some wisdom has dropped in somewhere along the way that actually, yeah, I'm a man on a mission, like you described, actually. Thank you. And yeah, it's it's actually about who I can serve, what it looks like, and just going with what's possible and fulfilling time and space and energy with what my values are. And actually coaching other people has been quite profound because they also don't it doesn't make sense to them logically that I would take on more activities in alignment to what my highest values are and yet I would feel so many more positive symptoms in my life and I think fulfillment therein yeah it, it's a really important conversation to start to dance between and to start to have with yourself and therein lies you know even if you are doing something that's not aligned to your highest values I find taking something on that is aligned to your highest values may seem counterintuitive but building the bridge in the meantime and just doing it and taking the trust and the courage that it takes to do that, I think is really worth it. Um, yeah. Your thoughts anytime, on that, John? Anytime you're doing something that is deeply meaningful, that is inspiring, that you feel intrinsically fulfilled to do, mm -hmm. your executive center, your creativity, your wisdom, I mean, there's so many upsides to it. Your space and time horizons grow, your confidence grows, your self-worth grows, um, your, your creativity, your solution orientation grows. But if you can go even one more step and not make it a hobby, but make it a, a, something that you can integrate into your income, let yeah, me give you business. an example. Uh, mm -hmm. In Nevada, Missouri, I consulted with a doctor many, many years ago, and he noticed he was in practice 
And uh, he said, no matter what I do, when it comes to hunting season, uh, I'm, I'm a hunter. I go hunting. Mm. And he said, and, but whatever, whenever I do that, my business goes down because I'm not focused on clients, not focused on that. It just plummets. And then mm. I put my family under stress during Christmas because there's not any income. And it's right during the time when we need the most income because it's holidays. <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm torturing my family. But I, and I said, you love hunting, yes? How is hunting helping you build your practice? I don't know. It's destroying it. I know I'm asking a question. How is hunting building your practice? I can't see it. Well, every time you do it, you're going to have a practice drop. How is hunting uh, building your practice? Mm. I don't know. Well, how is pra practice helping you hunt? It's not. So they were disconnected in the brain. Anytime two mm. values uh, are close to each other, they enhance each other. Anytime they're distant from each other, they, they don't enhance, they hinder each other. Mm. So I made him, change his perspective by asking that question and hold him accountable until he came up with a solution. So what we did is we started making trophies out of each patient. We started using hunting language with our clients and he now was hunting patients. <laughs> Every time he was out hunting, he started to make sure he did it with groups of people and he would take different people out hunting and make sure that he was closing deals. He started to link the two things together. So now when he's going hunting, when we, well, after we finished that process, he was having an average of 30% drops in his business, 30%, which was wiping out his margin. Mm. When we finished with that, it went up. It didn't go down. It went up because now he's fulfilling his life throughout the whole year and putting trophies. So he's, instead of putting a trophy of an animal on the side of a wall, He's putting trophies of all the patients he's made a difference and all the, 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 the testimonials that they're having and pictures. And he's now mm -hmm. hunting for patients. We set up a criteria. What is the ideal patient? What is the ideal hunt? And we started mm -hmm. to reframe him so he wasn't feeling like he's separating these two. They're integrating the two. Mm -hmm. His business went up and he didn't separate the two. And it wasn't a hobby anymore. He's enjoying him more. It was a way of doing yeah. what he loved doing. And he was growing his business. And he was going out and closing deals with companies by taking them hunting and closing deals and talking about their health needs and their companies. And he was also in his pa patients. He was then putting put people on the walls. He was putting the heads of people on their walls. So he turned his entire business into a hunting process, used the language of hunting because people mm. knew he was a hunter. And put those two together and actually was able to prioritize his time more effectively before he would go out in the field and cluster booking his business. So he was getting more done in less time, delegating more things that required not his specialty, his, his needs, and he was making more money. So it didn't take that long. Yeah. To do so you want to, because otherwise you have a schizophrenic life. You have a Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, <laughs> Friday's wake freaking end. And then you go over here and you escape on your on your hobby. I want them mm. integrated as much as possible. And if you can see those mm. tied together, they integrate, and then you end up producing, doing what you love, and there's always a way of doing it. I had a lady that loved dancing. She mm. was stuck, and she was going, I'm dancing, but I've got this friggin' job I'm doing. We created a dancing uh, a vacation where you go and study. She was working at, at the dance studios, 
and she was yeah. making friends with people. And she said, I'm going to Spain. We're going to do flamenco dancing and flamenco guitar dancing. We're going to meet with the, the top flamenco guitarist. I put together a package. It's it's twelve hundred dollars. We're going for five days. Da, 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 da. And she made forty five hundred dollars going dancing and traveling around the world, which is what she loved doing and got paid to do it, made more money than she was doing in her job. And now is dancing with the top people and becoming known for her dancing. So she, we just changed the perspective and linked the things together. So she was doing what she loved and got paid for it. As you're giving these examples, it becomes clear that living in alignment to your values is actually the most effective way to connect to flow states. You're more Your inspired, you're more fulfilled. And what's interesting, the cytokines, when they study cytokines, when people are doing something they're inspired by, their immune system rallies. And they can work yeah. 18 hours a day and not have any immune response. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I can easily do 18, 20 hours Fair a day. advantage. <laughs> I'm 69 here in another couple of months. So I'm 69. So I'm, I'm uh, still cranking and got more energy than most people you know, half my age. Still work circles around him because you're doing what you love to do. And that's different. Mm. A friend of mine, Bill Pollack, who owns uh, Drake International Corporation, which is a massive company, 297,000 mm. corporations use his business. Massive billionaire guy. I was having dinner with him in, in a French restaurant in Sydney, Australia, across from the rich, no, the, the, the Four Seasons there. Mm. And he says, you know, I, I, I haven't worked since 1951 when I opened up my business. I found what I love doing. I've never worked a day since. He averages 18 hours a day, but he's never worked a day in his life. He's, he's inspired by what he does, and he, he organizes his time to do whatever he loves doing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. He loves it. He organizes it. He wants my, I introduced my daughter to him, and my daughter was doing a fashion show. He organized the time to be there and, and then helped her build her business. So amazing guy because he prioritizes and he's doing something he loves to do every day. And he's 90 something today and still going. Wow. That is so inspiring. John, one of the questions I've had is if I'm clear on my values and I'm spending my time in a business, does my business have to have the exact same values as myself? Do they need to be in like majorly like incongruence or they can be like, can it be completely off? Like values of self and values of business. How do those two things need to line up for? I, I, I confront the idea yeah. that business, have, business, business doesn't have a value. People have values. Mm. So the leader is going to set the pace and the values of the company. And mm -hmm. then there, everybody that works there has a different set. There's no two people with the same values. You will never find two people who have the exact the same values. Yeah, so what you do yeah. is when you have a, a job description and a mission in the company set by the leader, mm -hmm. those values are infiltrating down through the company. If mm -hmm. the individual that you hire, if you can ask, how is this job duty helping you fulfill your top value? If they can't see it, they're not engaged. They're not. If you hire mm -hmm. them, you're have a disengaged person. You're going to have to micromanage them and push them uphill and motivate them. But if you can, when you hire them, if you can say, how is this job duty helping you fulfill your high values? If they can answer that fluently, they're going to be engaged. They're going to do it. And you're going to be freed. And they're not living in your values. They're seeing how your values are helping them fulfill theirs. Mm. And so the collective culture is a combination of 
values and counter values based on job descriptions. But the, mm. the older the company's values are filtering down, and that's what they typically put. But I've, I've gone to companies that said, these are our values. And I've asked people, hundreds of people, anybody even know them? Nobody even knew them. It was, <laughs> well, it was a PR maneuver. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, you see I, a I'm of not it. interested in the, the ideals about how. That's an autocratic idea. Here's what our values that are. You have to follow ideal. them. That doesn't work. I'm interested in helping people find out how their job description is helping them fulfill their values so they're engaged. Because the more engagement, mm. the more productive that company is going to be. And the least amount of autocracy, least amount of incentives, least amount of um, missing work and health issues and all those other things. All the symptoms of a business is a, is a sign of disengagement. And disengagement mm. means they don't see how this duty is helping them fulfill what they value. So the real leader is not projecting their values onto people autocratically and punishing them and rewarding them. The real leader is caring enough to communicate their values in terms of other people's values and hiring very carefully the people who really love to do what's needed. So they're inspired mm. to do that. And that way they can express their own unique values and they can be creative. We will we suppress our creativity and innovation if we're not doing what we value. And if mm. we're trying to live in their values, we're going to suppress ours and our innovation goes down. So autocracies are symptoms that eventually create unions to counterbalance it, to give people back their creativity and their authenticity again. So you want to hire people that are inspired to do the job. And that's why I do a value uh, screening process. I determine their values. I look at the job description. And I ask them, how is doing this going to help you fulfill? If it's not, I don't want to hire them. It's not fair to the person. It's not fair to give them a job that's not inspiring to them. Not fair. You want somebody that's inspired to go to work, and you want to have a team of people that are inspired to do the job. There's a great little video by Steve Jobs on hiring that's in line with what I just said. It's worth, it's mm. worth watching. He said, if you're not inspired here, this is not the place for you. So we're not going to hire you because of all your <laughs> skills. We're going to hire you because... Your dream is to do what we're, we're, we're what our objective is. That's your dream. Mm. Why would we why would we want to destroy your life being in a job you can't stand? I spoke at IBM many years ago, mm. 30 something years ago. I was speaking at IBM. There were 400 people in that room. Mm. The front row had the manager, the regional manager. This is in Houston, Texas. And I got up on stage and I had my microphone. I come up on stage. I said, how many of you can't wait to get up in the morning and work for one of the greatest companies in the world, IBM? No hands went up except the manager. Mm. And, I, and I, I said, I hit my microphone. Can you all hear me? And they go, yeah. Well, how many of you can't wait to get up in the morning and go to work for one of the greatest companies in the world, IBM? <laughs> no hands up except the manager. Mm. I looked at everybody, and the manager looked around and saw no hands up, and no one was looking at him in the eye. And the lady that hired me to come and speak gave me a title I was, I was supposed to give, right? Mm. And I said, no, that's not what needs to be taught here. This is, the, the, today is crap or get off the pot day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went down the yeah. aisle. The lady in the back is going, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my career. I'm going to lose my <laughs> I, I went down the aisle and I said, listen, you're going to destroy your life. You're going to associate pain with suffering. I mean, your jobs with suffering. You're going to make it where nobody wants to do business with you. You're going to kill the company. You're going to kill your life. Make a decision today. Do you want to work for IBM? And if so, take the job description. How See how it's going to help you fulfill your life. 
and let's get on with it and get inspired. If not, let's go. Leave the company mm-hmm. and go. Well, 400 people, 75 people gave their notice that day. <laughs> Whoa. Now, the lady came to me, who was supposed to take yeah. me to lunch after my talk. And she said, she just came up to me and she said, of course, you know, you probably destroyed my career here at IBM. And I said, if I did, you're one of the people that need to go. Because mm. if you're not inspired to see what I just did to help this company, you're missing the boat. You're looking for security. So yeah. 75 people gave their notice. And the energy was on fire when we got through because they released the energy of repression. Mm-hmm. So I, I literally had to get a, a taxi back to my, my <laughs> office. That lady didn't give me a ride back. She was so yeah. upset. She didn't want to look at me. <clears throat> Two and a half weeks to three weeks later, I get a, a letter from IBM. My assistant came back to my office and said, do you mind if I stand here when I have you open it and read it? Because I've heard what happened. I said, sure. Mm. Opened it up. Regional manager writes this letter to me. Those are real letter days, you know, not emails. Mm. <clears throat> yep. He said, dear Dr. Martini, thank you for shaking up IBM. We are on fire. We have been in recruitment and hiring people, like you said, that really want to do the job. And you saved this enormous cost on outplacement. All the people that we were going to fire, they left. And we didn't have to pay all the outplacement costs and all that stuff. <laughs> they went on and did their what they really wanted to do. And yeah. the lady came back. She was a patient of mine. She came back into my office about mm. five days later. And she put her arms around me as a patient and just mm. held me for a few minutes. And she said, please accept my apology for my reaction. I said, there's nothing to, to apologize about. She says, I just got a promotion at IBM for bringing you to the, to the thing to stir, stir up the IBM. And I got a promotion and I really looked at what was really important to me. And I told them that I, if in order for me to do that, I'd like to be able to do this, this, this. And they said, we're going to organize it, the job description according to people. So they're engaged. So we have people that are in fire here because that's what we need at IBM right now. And that changed that culture in that area for that period of time. I don't know what happened since then because I've been traveling, but that lady is still a client of mine. <laughs> and she won't even look at me for three weeks. But, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you have to stand up and 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 speak out about something that's not necessarily mm. what people. It's not kosher, but it's needed. Yep. And I have no problem mm. doing that because sometimes I have to confront executives and tell them stuff they don't want to hear because they they want you to be there. Will, people well. get addicted to pride. And they want to avoid Mm. shame and they get addicted to fantasy and they get stuck in a rut. And sometimes you have to shatter that myth if you want to get them to go on to the next level. And one of them is that they're, if they're not living congruently, it's going to break them down. Their, their, Their cardiovascular system, their digestive system, their skin, everything is going to break down until they get back on track. Your physiology won't let you be inauthentic without a sign or a sign. Out of alignment. Yo. Mm hmm. Totally agree. John, 
and conscious of the time. I did have questions about values and leadership and values and relationships, but I think people get the idea. And if you want to find out more about values, please, please, I cannot. It continues to blow me away how important this conversation is, touch wood. And yet, like so many of you listening, won't take the action to venture over to a website and do the exercise. It I don't want to sound rude. I just can't believe you won't do it. So please, if you can, not be the one of those people that don't do it. Knowing my values when it comes to connection, contribution, celebration, it just makes it so much easier. If someone goes, do you want to be podcasting, coaching, speaking? I'm connecting to people. I'm contributing. I'm celebrating life, hoping that they're living a more rich, fulfilling life. Like it just, it all makes sense. And my decision-making as a business owner, my decisions in relationships when people are acting from different places, I'm able to see, oh, that person's more integrity. I'm more connection. It's okay. You know, it just makes everything so much smoother. And John, I can totally thank you for this conversation today and I will, but I will also have the audacity to just thank you for like the decades upon decades upon decades of work you've put into not just yourself, but all the thousands of people that you've touched. I would venture into saying it was probably millions by this stage and ultimately just continuing to light a torch and then basing it so clearly in the sand and just going boom like the values really are a center point for you to be able to really understand how to live well an aligned life is aligned to your values like if you want to live a fulfilling life fulfill your values john i just i'm beyond grateful i just i live and breathe your work thank you so much for doing this here with us today Thank you for getting the opportunity to do it because, you know, we're helping each other fulfill our missions. We're both on a mission. So thank you. That's been, this has been my dream to travel the world and teach and you give me an opportunity to do it again. So thank you so much. And I look forward to our next time we get to be together. (laughs) Thank you so much, John. Big love from Australia. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving.